you for listening to Rituals of Our Mothers. I'm your host, Amy Jones, and this is episode five of season one. My guest today is Sage Frida. I met Sage through Instagram. She had posted a picture of she and her mother together, and I was so delighted by the picture that I felt compelled to reach out to her and ask if she would be interested in being interviewed, and to my delight, she said yes. I had a pre-chat with Sage prior to the interview, and her story was so intriguing to me. I absolutely could not wait to interview her and get further details. The thing that I appreciated so much about Sage's interview is that she was so clear about honoring and respecting her mother's journey while still holding space for the frustrations and the emotional responses that come from being a child and having a parent. I really appreciated hearing her viewpoint on things and her gratitude for the experience that she shared and most importantly I loved hearing about her beautiful connection with her mother that still thrives today. I really find it interesting that you reached out to me in this time because um, the heritage that I've that I received from my mother, as well as actually from the whole lineage of women. My grandmother is currently quite ill. So I've been thinking about, I've really been thinking about this heritage of the women in my in my life that I've been given. So it's so it, it feels like serendipity that you reached out to me in this time because it's been on my mind. And my mom and I have been having conversations about the things that I've been learning, the things that she's been learning, how she's also busy healing her line, healing mm-hmm. herself and thinking back to her mother. So I just, yeah, I found the timing just really beautiful. I think it's beautiful too. And so your mother then is sort of deep diving because because her mother is ill. She's deep diving into her own relationship with her mother. So it's sort of this, you know, three generations working on this right now. Absolutely. It's very interesting. I don't think my mom necessarily consciously decided uh, to do a deep dive right now, but we all influence each other. I also have two sisters that I'm very close to, and both of them are going through a lot of personal growth in their lives right now. So the three of us, each with our own struggles, because we are quite close to my mother, it influences her. It's almost like we're connected. So one person's growth, one person's crises, one person's discoveries affects the other person's. So it's all linked to each other. The fact that my grandmother is ill has definitely made me pause as well and think about the beautiful things that I've that I see in her and also the what I sort of the baton that I'd like to pick up and take further. And I think it's been the same for my mother. She's she hasn't necessarily sat down and said I'm going to do a deep dive now, but it, it just brings things up. The fact that my grandmother is ill is making her think more about it. And in turn, it's making me think more about my mother. So we're all influencing each other. And sort of, it's interesting that that there's the sense of divine timing. All of us are going through similar but different experiences in our family mm-hmm. that are bringing us in conversation with each other at this point. That's Does that beautiful. Make yeah, that makes absolute sense. And... I remember when my grandmother was dying and I, my grandmother on my mother's side, and I was very close to her. My mother was taking care of her in the last, let's say, 
few weeks of her life and we were giving her um, a sponge bath. So basically she was in the hospital bed in our home and um, we were bathing her. And I remember seeing her scar from both her hysterectomy and her cesareans. And um, there was something so beautiful about my mother being there washing her mother and me being there assisting my mother and washing her mother, my grandmother. And I remember looking at the scar and taking the cloth across her low belly and thinking, there's still so much I don't know. And I think Mm. that it really, I think that was the part that had brought me so much grief was, and this is something that I think we all face when we're looking mortality in the eye, whether it's through someone very close to us, like a grandparent or a parent, um, or even our own lives. And that is, there's so much I didn't say, there's so much I didn't ask, there's so much I don't remember. And in that moment, I was just, I was heartbroken because at that point, my grandmother had stopped speaking. She really, she couldn't really use her voice anymore. And so there was, there was so much that I I didn't remember. And I really do feel like that's why it's so beautiful, why uh, sharing our stories of our mothers and our lineage is so important because, you know, there might be a time where maybe we can't speak anymore or we forget stuff and it's such a beautiful archive for our daughters our sisters our nieces our aunts you know to to hear so this is really really exciting and i also feel sage that this is divine timing because because your grandmother is still alive. Your mother is still alive. Did you have, when you were preparing for the interview, did you have any feelings or thoughts coming up around, you know, the gray area of what you want to share and what you don't want to share? I did actually. Um, I saw my mother two days ago because I went to visit her this weekend for my birthday and we actually sat outside having coffee and I said to her, mom, you know, this interview is coming up are you okay with me discussing things? And she said, well, of course, don't, don't tell everyone everything about me, but, but <laughs> say what, what's in your heart. And it was so beautiful. She actually said, you know, and if you feel that there are things you want to criticize, things you want to point out, don't hold back on my account. Speak mm. the truth of your experience. And that really, that really helps because the, the, the fact that my mom and my grandmother, that both of them are still alive, makes it slightly more scary to speak about them yes. because they might listen to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I mean, I started my own podcast as well and I, I speak about my mother there as well. And I've realized that if I'm going to be thinking about the fact that my mother might be listening to this or that family members in general might be listening to this, I'm never going to be speaking my truth I need to sort of ignore the fact that they might hear it and just speak what resonates (laughs) in that moment yeah and it's like you said I I resonated so strongly with what you said about um when your grandmother was ill and you were bathing her and realizing that there's so much still unsaid and I'm I'm really being confronted by that as well with my grandmother Um, this is again something my mother and I spoke about recently we don't know all of her stories she's a very private person she doesn't uh, share easily about deeply emotional things and I suspect that many of her stories will go to the grave with her whenever that might be and I also want to honor that 
I don't want to force my grandmother into opening towards me or towards my mother and telling us things that she's not comfortable telling. Mm -hmm. But there's a grief in knowing that um, some wounds are passed on, some some traditions, some heritage is passed on to us, but we don't always know the stories linked to that. So you get the effects in yourself, but you don't always know the story. Mm -hmm. And both recognizing the grief in that and also honoring that that's valid that that on the one hand i want to openly share my story and on the other hand respect my grandmother for instance not sharing hers right sort of living in that space in the middle is i think a beautiful endeavor (laughs) and also it reminds me that you know the generation that our grandparents come from is vastly different than the generation you and I are living in today and across the board women in particular were not heard today we are reaching out to do for healing and that to me when you were talking about your grandmother's stories and the things that she's taking to her grave it's that um, piece around ancestral healing that's very important and you know healing the wounds of our lineage and yet you're absolutely right there's so much it's like oh here's this that I'm looking at that I'm dealing with for example myself I look at how I interact with my relationships I was for the first seven years of my life primarily raised by my grandmother and she waited hand on and foot on her husband. And I started to see that in my beginning relationships that everything was for the man. And I, you know, now in my forties, I'm like, no way, there's no way I'm doing that. But it is a pattern of programming that I'm working consciously all the time to not do. And, you know, even something like that, luckily I was able to name it and see it and go, oh, that's, that's my grandmother. I can see that there. And that's not something that I want to carry on. That's not something I want to, I want there to be equality in my relationships and in my partnerships. My grandmother was very outspoken and I'm, I don't know about your grandmother, but um, she was outspoken in the places that it was okay and safe to be outspoken with me, for example, or, you know, sometimes with some of her friends, but her being able to do something like this with her lady friends, I don't know that that would have been appropriate for the time. So this is a, this is a part of healing that language. Like, okay, we're going to, the granddaughters, the granddaughters are going to talk about it. Actually, we're going to get things moving. So that being said, let's move to your relationship with your mother and please um, feel free to share whatever you feel is in your heart. All right. Um, Well, I'm the eldest child uh, of five, and I actually thought about this recently. When I was born, that was also the day that my parents became parents, and that was also the day that my grandparents became grandparents, because I'm the eldest grandchild as well. Mm. So that that feels significant to me. It almost, there's a sense of of wonder for me, of, of privilege in being the person that my arrival made my mother a mother. I I really hold that as a sacred privilege. Mm. And um, she was quite young when she had me, she was 22 and then had four more kids after me in short succession. And um, 
my parents met as missionaries in South Africa. And at, at that time, this was in the 80s, um, most, because I'm Afrikaans speaking, my culture is Afrikaans, uh, so English is not my first language. And Afrikaans culture, which is very much from a Dutch heritage, uh, was originally very stayed, very held back, very disciplined, very rigorous. Um, the, the religion that went with it was the Dutch Reformed Church. So, you know, don't be too enthusiastic in church. God is a very authoritarian type figure. Mm. So there's definitely some strains of that in my heritage. But both my parents broke away from that and became evangelical missionaries, and which, was, which caused quite a stir in those days. It was very unusual. And then they immigrated to France shortly after getting married. And this was in the, in the late 80s in the time of political unrest in South Africa, but it was the ending of apartheid. And my father didn't want to uh, be called up to finish his um, police duty. What do you call it? His conscription. So they immigrated to France. And I think what followed was a time of intense hardship and loneliness for my mother. Mm. My, I think she quickly realized that my father was severely mentally ill um, and also just generally emotionally unstable and, and unhealthy. And it was, a, I think it was a very like a, a rude awakening for her. She was this naive 22 year old who was basically a Jesus freak, married as, as another Jesus freak and then realized this man is acting in very toxic ways. Mm. But she didn't believe that she was free to leave him because the Bible says that the wives must submit unto their husbands. And this is also what she'd been modeled by my grandmother. My grandfather was also quite a difficult man. So I think my mother was, uh, again, this is the ancestral thing. I think she was trained. She was used to difficult men. Mm -hmm. But I, I, she did upgrade from my grandfather being a difficult man to my dad being a severely difficult man. It was oh, yikes. <laughs> quite abusive. Oh. So as a result... I don't know how to explain this exactly, but as a result, in our family, we had a very clear delineation between my mother and my father. My mother was the good guy and my dad was the bad guy. And to us as kids, that's how we made sense of the world. When my dad was around, we were all scared. We, we never knew whether he was gonna have an outburst, whether, what, what mood he was going to be in. And my mother was also very withdrawn, very quiet. Um, now that I understand the different, you know, fight, 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 flight, freeze responses, I can see that my mother was basically in a freeze response for much of my childhood. Right. When my father would become aggressive or verbally aggressive, my mother would just get stuck in a, in a freeze response. Um, and us as children interpreted this as my dad is the bad guy and my mom is the good guy because she was also a wonderful parent, very intuitive, lots of fun when my dad wasn't around. And um, she had a soft sort of an intuition for what each child needed. Mm. She would, this was in France. We spent the first 10 years of my life in France. And she would, for instance, go sledding with us in the snow. She was the only parent who'd come with her kids and sled with them. Mm. And she, she treated us like confidants, especially me, because I was the eldest child. And she was very isolated, didn't know many other people. French people weren't very fond of foreigners. They uh, didn't really want to befriend us. So she had a very lonely experience. And I think as a result, we grew very close. Mm -hmm. 
and she my parents we, we all came back to South Africa when I was 10 years old and my parents uh, continued with their very tumultuous marriage and it was really difficult on all of us um, my dad was getting more and more fundamentalist in his religion so he got more and more isolated mm. we were homeschooled we weren't really allowed to play with other kids my mom was kept away from her family and then eventually my parents split up when I was 15 and then we all moved away from my dad and we all my mom raised us alone from the age that I was 15 without even financial support from my father he didn't contribute any further mm. and I don't know how she did it because she she'd been a missionary when she got married so she'd never uh, had a job really and somehow she made ends meet and she just came up with a different plan and she put us all through school and so for very long my narrative was my dad is bad and my mom is good and I think that really helped me in my childhood. Children need simplicity. And right. I think having this sort of good cop, bad cop situation in my family actually made it easier than if both my parents had been somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. I was more able to reject my dad's abusive messaging because I was able to compare it to my mom's gentle parenting style. What is interesting, though, is that when I grew up and I became older, I, as I started doing my own healing work, as I started discovering wounds within myself I I came upon some anger I realized oh I'm not only angry at my dad it turns out I'm quite angry at my mom as well mm -hmm. it's more subtle and in fact it was quite guilt inducing to find to discover this anger within myself because she had been the good guy so why am I angry at her how dare I be angry at her she worked herself to the bone she, to get us all through school she was such a fun and vibrant parent at times at least, although she also went through phases of depression and, and anxiety. She was such a good parent, how dare I be angry at her? Mm -hmm. And that's been my journey really, especially in my late 20s and now in my early 30s, is integrating that and realizing the lessons that I learned from my mom that were not healthy. For instance, the heritage both from her and I think from my maternal grandmother, her mother, this heritage of betraying myself in favor of a man, of laying myself down in favor of a man, of truly losing myself completely. And I also had some, some wounds and anger around her not protecting us when we were children, mm -hmm. her not taking us away and not taking a stand. She was doing what she thought was right. She was staying with him because she thought the Bible said, said that she should. And yet I have discovered, and she and I are in conversation about this, but I've discovered that it's not a simple picture. There's mm -hmm. both profound gratitude and anger in my heart. And so that's basically it. So I wanted to back up and I just want to say, I think it's so, for the most part, my mother was a single parent of four children. And I can look back as you have been and going, how did she do it? How did she manage it? I mean, there are times when it's just unreal to me. There are almost zero resources for single women that are caretaking children. And I feel like, it, you know, it breaks my heart. I feel so saddened when I think about the isolation of having to care for children on your own and not, you know, not even having um, someone in the community, an adult to talk to. I mean, I've nannied children and I know that it can be so lonely sometimes to not have someone 
you know, within my same age group and consciousness yes. to talk to. And so I think about that with, and I also think about how strong women are. Like, I just am so amazed every time I hear the story of a mother that was really left to her own devices to care for her children, the amazing magic that was created to take care of these children. And it doesn't mean, I mean, regardless of where you come from, there's trauma, there's unresolved issues, there's family dynamics, there's soul grouping, and the stuff that we have to work through the lineage work. I am so moved by your story and your desire to A, heal and to look at all of that stuff, and B, to, to sit with that guilt and to sit with that compassion because I had the same thing and I really do feel like this is a part of what this project is about is there's uh, the mixed bag of emotions that comes with dealing with our parents and in particular our mothers and I do think that anger is important anger is alchemy anger is transformation but when it comes to our parents and in particular our primary caretakers if they were our mothers there is a ton of guilt that comes with that and it's you know the guilt holds us back from our healing and I think that you know the guilt kind of is this blanket statement of I should have done a better job or I could have um what could I have done differently and that's actually not what this is about this is just about working through human emotions and anger is one of those human emotions and so what is your relationship to your mother? I mean, it sounds like you two were really close. Actually, I want to back up and ask, because you were so close, did you feel weighted down at all with responsibility and maintaining this relationship with, with a parent, um, your mother, an adult, while you were trying to navigate your childhood and navigate your own sense of self? Wow, what a good question. <laughs> I think the short answer is yes. I did feel weighted down, weighed down by it somewhat. Mm -hmm. And also, I think it was hugely beneficial to me in many ways. I think it's so nuanced, like this anger, like this gratitude and, and joy combination that I feel towards my mother now. If I look back at my childhood, I can say that in some ways, and this is something that I'm working through currently, I was I became an, an adult too early mm -hmm. because I was privy to my parents' marital discord, and I I I was I was a very tense and anxious child, and I used to take a lot of my mom's grief upon me, my mom's fear upon me. I was very finely attuned to what was happening for her. And in my kind of family, you had to be very finely attuned to any changes in your environment because you never knew when my father would, would have a, a huge outburst again. Mm -hmm. So I was definitely very finely attuned to my mother. And in, in, in a way, I became an adult too early. Not necessarily because she made me be an adult, but because I felt responsible for her because if she wasn't happy, none of us could be. Right. So I always wanted to look after my mom. I always wanted my mom to be okay. Even today, all of us siblings, we're always checking in about whether my mom is okay. If something happens to one of us, if one of us does something stupid or gets into trouble, we always check in if my mom's okay. 
we're very worried about her which is quite silly because she's fine she's a force of nature these days she 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 gets on by herself beautifully but we all we're all so closely linked it's almost like one person's happiness depends on the others as well which is I suppose neither good nor bad but a bit of both mm-hmm. and definitely as a child I took up I also acted sometimes as the go-between between my siblings and my parents. Mm. So I tried to shield my siblings from the worst of my parents' uh, disagreements or fights. I tried to protect them. I used to daydream about running away and taking my siblings with me. And then we would start, we would live in a little hut. Those were my daydreams as a, quite a young child, six or seven. I used to think, oh, if we could run away and then I would look after them and I would go hunting and fishing and look after my siblings. And my parents didn't really feature in these daydreams, which I now realize is a bit strange. So I think I took on some mothering as well, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, my mother didn't force me into it but she was still so very young herself. And I think I took on the role and she didn't fight it, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Well, I I think that whenever there's massive dysfunction, there's, how do I wanna say this? Because I grew up in the home that I did, I feel like the, my friend said it so perfectly, mothering the mother when there's, you know, some sort of lack, some sort of dysfunction, some sort of trauma, the, the, there is a child in the group. And if there's only one, of course, it will be that child that, that takes on the role of caretaker and peacekeeper. And, you know, I, I think it's linked to survival, truly. I mean, we're thinking, okay, in order to survive this, my mother has to be okay. And so I I had dreams of running away on my own. And I was about your age too. I was between six and seven, I think. And I remember I had my bag packed. I was ready to go. I had, I think, three tangerines and some clothes. I really don't know. And actually my mother would probably be mortified if she heard this story, (laughs) she would be heartbroken. But I was living in this apartment complex and I had my bag. I was pretending to be interested in what my friends were saying. And I said, okay, I'm gonna leave before my mother comes home from work. And I happened to see her car drive past. So she was on, you know, she had made it into the complex and she was heading to our apartment. And that guilt that we were talking about earlier, the amount of grief and guilt that hit my heart in that moment. And I really do believe it was divine because if I had run away, oh my gosh, I don't even know what would have happened to me. Um, but something stopped me. I saw her and I was like, I can't leave her. She would be devastated. And it didn't matter that I was having a hard time with her or that you know I was um, not really having the childhood that I'm sure most children dream of, but mm-hmm. I stopped. And I think that I think that my healing process and it's very similar to yours is working through my emotions and my feelings about everything. And I have a good relationship with my mother today, but it's taken a lot of work, a lot of work on my end to get to this place. And I don't, 
I don't regret any of it. And yet there's still all of this stuff. And I don't think it ever truly goes away, but there's all this stuff still that I'm like, you know, a memory will pop up or um, a feeling will pop up. And I think that in listening to other women's stories, it's, and this is what's so beautiful about sharing stories. Like we get to go, oh my God, I'm not alone. I cannot tell you, Sage, how how grateful I am to hear that you had those thoughts also, because it makes me go, oh, right. I wasn't alone in that moment. There were other daughters that were feeling that same way. And that's huge. That's huge to want to run away at such a young age from your soul caregiver or caregivers. I mean, that's a huge statement given, you know, around the circumstances that you're living in. So thank you for sharing that because that's, that is huge. Thank you for sharing as well. Yeah. I feel the same. I feel this, I feel this almost a sense of joy or, oh, sorry, my dog is growling in the background. It's okay. (laughs) I feel a sense of joy and relief when I hear stories like yours, because then, because it's, it's, it's almost like feeling seen. It's, it's realizing that we all have these mixed experiences of loving our parents, but also wanting to leave, but not being able to because we love them too much and feeling guilt. And, right. and it's, it's beautiful just to, to touch into this almost universal experience that so many of us have had. Mm-hmm. So what is your relationship with your mother today? I mean, you talked about having coffee with her the other day and what, where is, uh, not to... I do want to ask about her without her permission, but I'd like to just get a sense of, yeah, just what your relationship is today and maybe share a little bit about where she's at with everything. Yeah, sure. I think I think I can do that. We are, we're really close. In, in fact, I think, I think we were always close, but, but what's different now is that there are fewer unsaid things than there used to be mm. because I've, I've come to know more about myself and I've been able to discuss things with my mom that I wasn't aware of before. Mm -hmm. So after I left high school or after I finished high school, I was in a hurry to leave. I basically did what I daydreamed of doing when I was six and I left home in a big hurry and immediately tried to build my own stability, my own sense of safety. So I studied, immediately got a job, immediately started, started trying to build my own life and my my mother remarried and for a while she she was we weren't so close then and what was interesting in that time was again seeing almost a similar thing happen than i had seen before when she was married to my father it was like she wasn't this vibrant full woman that i knew she actually was mm. the moment she got married to this person they it, it was like she surrendered herself to his to his supposed greater wisdom, to, mm. his, to his authority. So for a few years, it was really hard for me in my, in my early 20s. I, could, I just couldn't relate to my mom anymore. Mm-hmm. And then, and now looking back, I'm quite grateful for that experience because it, it forced me to really do some soul searching and, and identify the patterns that I was seeing in my mother. Because as a child, I didn't really realize what she was doing, that she was surrendering herself to my, my father's supposed bigger wisdom. But now that I could see it happening again, now that I was an adult, I was really able to see those patterns. Mm. So that was really useful to me. Um, they separated and then it was like, she was back mm-hmm. and I was older. We were able to engage and relate on a deeper level. 
And I think all of us siblings felt uh, breathe the collective sigh of relief when my mother and my, and her husband split up and she just started I think for her it felt like she was making up for lost time she just started reaching out more and more and visiting all of us and and we had to work through some stuff through some through some resentment that I'd felt that my siblings had felt because of her few years that she she wasn't really involved anymore and I think we were so shocked at her at the fact that she wasn't involved with our lives as so much during her marriage to my stepfather or to her, her ex-husband because we were used to her being such an engaged involved parent she was definitely our primary and I would say only caretaker so it felt like a huge shock when she got remarried and then when she came back after separating from her ex-husband all of us had to process through that mm -hmm. and also at the same time acknowledge that my mother is a full human being who deserves to have the life she wants and not only be involved with her children's lives and mm -hmm. she gets to fall in love and she gets to go off and marry someone and have that experience right. so it was it was a it was an, an interesting few years in my 20s just witnessing my mother being an actual person who's not only my mother <laughs> that, and I'm, oh sorry go ahead no no you go ahead well I was gonna say that's one of the things that I think is so profound and it's especially for a child to separate and go this person our mothers they had these whole lives before they had us, even if they had us at younger ages. I mean, they have their own issues with their mothers, their own ups and downs. They had their first loves, their first love experiences of intimacy, um, feeling fearful, being afraid, failures, triumphs. And of course, as little children, we, we cannot see that. That's not a place that we can go in the capacity uh, in which we have as children. But as we get older, it's one of the things that has been really healing for me with my mother is I know that my mother was and is the mother that she is because of her life, her right. life. I mean, I will share her story. I will be interviewing her. And there are times she shares things with me and my jaw is on the floor and my heart is broken. I just am like, I cannot believe that that happened. And that's, that is in my lineage. And so as children and as daughters, it's sometimes really hard to remove ourselves. And I, I think that... I'm sort of, I'm laughing because I'm remembering, um, I'm remembering something my mother said to me once and she goes, I hope you are blessed with daughters just like you. She had said this, to <laughs> me. she was really upset at me once. And, um, you know, of course I, I would think I was like 21 at the time and I was so spiteful and I was like, I hope I have daughters and I'll treat them. I'll never treat them the way that you treated me. You know, it was a full on head to head neck to neck and um I I won't have any children I don't have any children and so I've I feel like I've had to work through everything on my own my sister has a daughter and we have talked deeply and immensely about some of the things that she's had to work through and address um with her relationship to our mother 
through her daughter and the healing and the work and but anyway with with my mother it's for for me a huge part of my healing process has been able and this is where I'm at in my healing process is to see my mother as a person as a soul that you know incarnated here and is having this human experience and has had a really hard time this is a person a soul that came in with dreams and goals and desires and wants and feelings of love and you know hit hit a ton of grief and roadblocks and so how do i have compassion how do we as daughters have compassion for that and then let's go back to while still working through our grief while still working through our anger while still working through our guilt because that's that sort of divine, I don't want to call it a paradox, but art form, play, dance that we have to do mm-hmm. because our emotions are still valid. You know, as children, we want, we deserve, we want, we crave certain things. And when they were unmet, how could we not be angry or upset or And then also like, oh, there's my mother having her own life and her own experience, you know? So thank you for sharing all of that because it feels really important and it it definitely needs to be talked about. Yeah. Yeah, just the complexity of of one's parents. It's like you said, they have their own lives and I really want to honor, I want to honor the strange and beautiful road that my mother has walked and all the the persons that she has been, like a mother, a wife, a daughter, an, a missionary, a rebel, a caretaker, a, the sole breadwinner, um, a woman in the middle of her life falling in love all over again, a woman trying to juggle all of these things. All of it is so beautiful and, and not without its, its difficult moments, but I... I, yeah, I want to honor the bravery of my mother's life. There's, mm. there's so much, and the nuance of it, of being able to say, I disagree with this and this thing that my mother did, and I'm still busy learning, in fact, all the harmful beliefs that I've internalized because she had internalized them, because my grandmother had internalized them, and at the same time saying she did the best she could, and what she did was, was pretty impressive, actually, and I want to honor that mm-hmm. at the same time. That's wonderful. I, I think that the way that you speak of your mother is, it's really so beautiful. It, she feels like, I feel like you have given her this beautiful platform in sharing this story and your story to be herself. It's like, yes, she's my mother and she's also this warrior woman, this brave woman, this creative, courageous woman. And I really liked what you said that you wanted to honor the bravery of your mother and all of the archetypes really that she spends. I think other women will really appreciate hearing that because it's, you know, as children, we compart, it's like you said, we're very simple. We need things to be simple rather. And we sort of compartmentalize. And that again is about survival. And, Mm -hmm. um, and now we get to sort of pick our heads up and look around and see everything as a whole and go, oh, okay, now I get to view this person with these adult eyes or this different consciousness. And we've had our own experiences of love, of failure, of loss, of 
oh my God, I can't believe I did that. And we can kind of go, right, now I know why I did that. Now I can have a little more compassion towards my mother because shoot, I sort of did the same thing. (laughs) So, yeah. So coming to the areas, because it sounds like you have such a beautifully close relationship with your mother. Can you speak to any kind of self-care or ritual that you saw your mother do that sort of maybe is weaving into your life or something that's unique just to her? I definitely can. I, the first thing that came to mind when you mentioned I would have to think of some self-care rituals is music mm. and specifically dancing. So when we lived in France, my grandparents would send us cassette tapes. You know, back in the days when you still had cassettes. Yes, of course. African music. And that was my first introduction to South Africa. I was a South African child born to South African parents living in France. And one of my my first introductions was South African music. Mm. For instance, uh, Ladysmith Black Mambazo, which is the also the band that played with Paul Simon in his album Graceland. I think that's mm. what they're most known for. But they're a South African group that sing sort of uh, gospel music, beautiful choir type, vibrant music. And my mom used to listen to a lot of that. And, and she, would, she would sing to it and very often cry because she would miss her country so much. And for me, it became such a poignant touching point to this country that I didn't know, but that I knew that I came from. And lots of other music too that my mom would listen to and dance to in the kitchen. I just remember her dancing always. And when I was little, I used to be quite embarrassed. I'd be like, mom, stop. She'd be dancing in the kitchen, stomping. And I would, and then she'd be like, dance with me. And I'd feel completely awkward and not want to at all. I would sit there on my chair. My siblings would join in and dance and I couldn't understand how they, would, how they could do it without feeling awkward. And then I became older And I went to high school and I realized that I love dancing as well. Mm. And my mom taught me to, um, we call it soki in South Africa. In South Africa, it's um, to do, to, oh, I don't know how, I don't know what you would call this in America, but it's, it's um, just doing partner dancing with specific steps. Mm. My mom taught me the specific steps of partner dancing when I was quite young and she would be the man and I would be the woman and she would teach me to dance all the different steps. And family weddings and any wedding that both that my mom would go to that us siblings would also go to are just absolutely even now the highlights of our family's calendar because we just all love dancing together so much Christmas over any birthday we always dance in the kitchen and I'm so grateful that my mom uh, just just started this in all of us and now it's this it's this powerful family tradition we even send each other songs and say hey you should dance to this song in your kitchen I'm dancing to it in my kitchen and uh, there's just this spontaneity and and like a bodily joy and I was cut off I think from my body for a long time as a child I was anxious and tense and I felt clumsy and awkward and I didn't like my own body and dancing really has brought me back to it and Mm. and that that joy in movement is something that my mom modeled for me. I love hearing that. I it reminds me actually, Sage, I had read and I wish I could remember the third country, but it had said uh, Mexico, Ireland, and one other country were three of 
some of the happiest countries because people ate together, danced together, and played music together. And I thought, oh, that is such a beautiful, and he, I mean, I think massive healing can take place on the planet, um, A, through body awareness, and B, through movement. And I think that you get Absolutely. that when you dance and just listening to music and what a beautiful image. I just, I mean, I don't even know what your family looks like, but in my mind <laughs> and in my heart, I just have this beautiful image of this family healing through movement and healing through dance. And that's, that's so lovely. And would you feel like it, you, I mean, does, is your mother aware of that? Does she know that this is something that is so special and sacred to you that really kind of awakens? I think she does. Mm -hmm. I think she does because, because she knows I don't yeah I think we I think we we celebrate it enough and make we all enjoy it so much I think it's quite obvious that it means a lot to all of us um I don't know if she really realizes that she caused it mm. it's also again this is again something that that goes up the line because my grandmother until recently at weddings my grandmother would also be dancing my mother is one of five sisters so mm. all my aunts at family weddings would also be dancing. Our family would be quite legendary for being the last people on the dance floor, <laughs> any wedding or anything. So again, it's like passed down, even as the, even as the hurts and the, and some negative belief systems might be passed down. So too did this bodily joy get passed down. But my mother specifically has something transcendent when she dances. She just is completely unselfconscious. Mm. And she's, she can be sometimes quite a shy woman. She can sometimes feel easily embarrassed and blush quite easily, which I also inherited. But when she's dancing, there's just no self-consciousness. It's, it's remarkable to notice. She just moves however she wants to. And I feel like that's, that's a really powerful thing to pass on. Yes. I ask this really sage only for my own curiosity. Um, have you is having children something that is on the plate for you in the future or is it um just because I just you said your mother came from five a group of five you come from five these are big families is that something that you feel like is a part of of who you are as well do you want a big family ah uh, I want to mother I think I would be good at mothering and it and I, in fact, I feel like I have to some extent mothered my siblings. Mm -hmm. I, I carry them in my heart in, in not like a mother, but there are similarities. Mm -hmm. And I love children. I'm comfortable around children. My sister has three children and I absolutely adore them. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if it's in the cards for me. I, I, Honestly, looking at my mother, looking at so many single mothers, even at partnered people who are raising families, raising children in the nuclear family, I keep thinking this is really hard. It's almost impossibly hard to retain a strong sense of self and a strong life for yourself and also raise your children well. Mm -hmm. So I think if I do have children, I would want to co-parent with a village you know like they say it takes a village yeah. I would love to co-parent with with other people or be like a very involved aunt for a few children or perhaps 
be a foster parent at some stage. Mm-hmm. But I think having biological children might not be on the cards for me. I'm open to that changing, but I think I would only do that if I had more than just one co-parent, if I had a team of people, if we could be right. like three or four people <laughs> raising children together, I would do that. Yeah. But I, I feel like a happy parent is a good parent. And I don't think I would be a happy parent if I were scrimping and scraping and trying to get by and trying to give all my time to my children and be a good parent and also be a human, a fully grown human. I think I would find that very hard to strike that balance. I think um, because I, I mothered and nurtured at such a young age to my siblings and um, I nannied for many, many years and it was a lot of work and it was very isolating and I feel the same. It takes a village and I, that's kind of good. You know, that kind of goes back to what I was saying of like, I can't believe that our single mothers were able to do this because it is so isolating. There is so much work there is it's, it's exhausting. And I really do feel like, I don't know. I, I just, I wouldn't want to do it alone. And I do feel mm. like, I mean, I don't, I, I don't feel like I was, well, I, I can't have children. So I wasn't meant to, to have them. And, um, and that was a piece that I came to even before I knew I couldn't have them. It was sort of this, like, I don't think I'll be able to have children. I don't think that's in the cards. And at the same time, I did have that experience like you of caretaking my siblings. And I feel like because I was able to do that, it's it's given, I feel like I've been given this gift of a deep dive into myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that again, you know, even though my lineage in myself will stop here, my sister and her daughter keep it going and my work the work that I do rather on myself does affect them and it will affect seven generations to come. And I think that that's, that's important. And I think there's more than one. Oh, sorry. No, please, please. I think there's more than one way of being a mother. You can be a biological mother or you can remother yourself, first of all. So that's also being a mother. There's, embodying the the mother archetype without necessarily having your own children of co-parenting and being involved in other people's lives whether they be adults or children mm-hmm. there's so many ways of of living out the mother that's i think inside of all of us mm-hmm. just by loving really hard by holding space for others i think all of those are ways of, of being a mother yeah i agree i and you you share everything so beautifully and delicately with such a um, beautiful consciousness around everything. I really appreciate hearing that. And um, I just feel so delighted in knowing you and sharing this conversation. Um, Is there anything else that you feel like you would like to share? Your story is so rich and full of depth and just beautiful understanding and healing. Um, but I just am like, ooh, I, I don't want to stop talking to you. 
and I don't want to take too much of your time up. Is there anything else that you feel? Nothing I can think of now, but in all likelihood, I'm going to think of something later and be like, oh, I should have said that. I didn't, I forgot. <laughs> right. But nothing I can think of now. Just, just gratitude to be here and be able to share and hear your stories as well. And just feeling the power in that. I really feel the power in, in discussing this and honoring, honoring our own stories. Yes. Yes. And again, just, I think it's so beautiful that you, I, I am amazed at just how spirit works and the divine just weaves, like you said, the serendipity of us connecting because I have been thinking of my grandmother a lot. And so I'm so grateful that you wove her into our story today because it creates this platform of, you know, that third generation and, mm. um, and the healing that can take place from grandmother to mother to daughter and granddaughter. It's just really important that that's just such a huge part of it, especially if you're lucky enough to know your grandmother and to have any interaction with her, which sometimes isn't always the case with, a, with, with some women. They don't, you know, they haven't met their grandmothers or maybe they passed before. So, well, thank you so much, Sage. I'm sure, um, gosh, I would love to have you again, like maybe further down the line, we can bridge more conversation. If anything does come up, I would love to have you as a guest again. But thank you so much um, for sharing your amazing story and for being so open and so uh, just beautifully spoken and uh, willing, willing to share the deep relationship and healing that you're on that journey. Um, thank you again. Thank you. And yeah. And Thanks I hope for creating this beautiful platform, this powerful space where people can speak their stories. I think that's, I think you're doing beautiful work. Thank you for listening to Rituals of Our Mothers. I'm your host, Amy Jones, and this is a podcast where I interview you about your mother. If you'd like to share your stories of ritual and self-care and stories of your mother, please direct message me on Instagram at Rituals of Our Mothers, and we'll chat soon. Ciao.